I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube, Wednesday edition of the podcast. Sam, how you doing, man? Not bad. How about you, Steve? Doing great. Doing great. Um, we can banter a little bit more now. Oh, yeah? Because yesterday, I mean, it was all business. Yeah. We had to, we had to cover every game from, uh, from week 16, but it's our Wednesday edition, and we're going to talk. We, we do these, um, we, have we been calling them autopsies? What were we calling them before? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Um, on teams that were eliminated from the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Why Why were they eliminated? What went wrong? And just kind of setting the stage for our favorite time of the year, at least my favorite time of the year, the offseason. The offseason when we get to fix all these teams. We'll fix them in five minutes at some point in March. We mm-hmm. always do that. Allegedly. Five minutes. That's it. And uh, we'll have some, some fun with that. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to highlight really quick. There's two things. We have to tell people about uh, the award that we're up for. Mm-hmm. And I just want to give a shout out to my brother-in-law for a great gift Yeah, from Christmas. He sent me uh, two starting lineup figures from my favorite team, the 90s Jags, the late 90s Jags. Look at this. Tony Baselli and Jimmy Smith. What a gift. This is the best gift I've gotten since the late 90s, I think. Jimmy Smith 90s. and Tony Baselli, starting lineup figures. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the crazy person that like tweets it out and, and tags them. Hey, look! I got this gift. You know, Jimmy will retweet it. Jimmy's uh, Jimmy's pretty active on Twitter. Yeah, though but he I then thought, goes. Good gift. He then goes dark when you try and DM the man. Um, oh, he still hasn't gone back to you, huh? No, <laughs> I'll reach out on your behalf. You, you do, do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, absolutely. The, the, we need people to go and vote for us for this uh, award that we're up for, so we can become an official award-winning podcast, Needs as to opposed be. to just a self-proclaimed one. No, and not just award nominated. No, we want to win. Look. Everybody will say it's it's just an honor to be nominated, but I mean, you want to win, and we want to win. So there we are. We're a finalist for the Best American Football Podcast in the Sports Podcast Awards, uh, and it's an open vote, which means we can rig it, or at least, you know, have as much of a shot as anybody to try and get people to go and vote for it. So Has anybody written a macro for us to... Uh, I swear, we have to get on. that done. If you had a teammate that could do that, like, in the early 2000s, surely... Hackers have reached the point now where we can rig this whole thing. We absolutely could. One last reminder, the UI on your phone is terrible. So if you're trying to do it that way, it's not going to work. But it works very quickly on a desktop. So appreciate all the votes. And uh, hopefully we can all become an award-winning podcast together. It's together. We do everything. It's all together here. It's a family. We all want to win this award together. We'll share should it. be in the description of the podcast. And if it's not there, it's on my pinned tweet, at PFF underscore Sam. All right, so um, you want to get into – let's get into some fun here, which is uh, talking about the teams that are out of the playoffs. Mm. We'll talk plenty. I mean, we've only got two more weeks to talk about these teams, to preview their games, and uh, because they're eliminated. They're out, and they're already looking at the offseason. So let's go, let's go team by team. Starting in the AFC, let's go with the New York Jets. Can we get, do we have a big eliminated graphic? Do we have eliminated. that? Eliminated. Uh, New York Jets eliminated from playoff contention. They're six and nine. What went wrong for the Jets this year, Sam? Well, five snaps into the season, Aaron Rodgers blew his Achilles. 
It's a rough start. And therefore, their season went up in smoke. The end. Yeah, not great. It's, uh, it's interesting discourse around the Jets. Uh, your, your famous, uh, your pinned tweet, is it still there? Peyton Manning? Well, no, not now because the, the voting is. The voting is. Oh, I need to. Yeah. What's the morality? of I've got, a, I've got a buddy. We were raising money because his daughter was born with a disease. I've been raising money for him. Yeah. That's my pinned tweet right now. Mm. Do I switch that in for the voting? No, I think you can leave it. That's a, a better cause than us just trying to win an award. Okay. Uh, you can do highlighted tweets, which I don't really understand how they work, but you can there highlight should, multiple tweets that way. We should learn. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so your old tweet was, you know, like basically if you don't have – your if you don't have – we don't practice with our backup quarterback. We don't have a plan for that. Yeah, Tom Moore once asked, uh, no, John Gruden once asked Tom Moore why Peyton Manning's backups don't get more practice reps. And he said, fellas, if 18 goes down, we're fucked. <laughs> we don't practice fucked. <laughs> Pretty much sums it up. So there are people who are criticizing the Jets as Joe Flacco off the couch is leading the Browns to the playoffs. Yeah, and As look. Jacoby Brissett's coming in and making the commanders look viable that the Jets did not go out and try to salvage their season. And I think there is some validity to that. Like, you know, but I think overall the general outcome is still if you have to turn to backup quarterbacks in the season, you're probably screwed. Now, the Browns are making it work, um, and other teams have gotten by, but we've we talked before, there tends to be a shelf life to these backup quarterbacks. Like, Jake Browning turned into a pumpkin twice against the Steelers, right? And outside of that, he's looked fantastic, but... You know, Josh Dobbs was being the quarterback that was talked about that the Jets should have gone and got Josh Dobbs. Would have cost him nothing. Clear upgrade over Zach Wilson. Well, Josh Dobbs has been benched for Nick Mullins, who himself might be benched this week because he's been terrible. Like, I, I don't know if you can predict the performance of these backups. You have to just cross your fingers and hope that you're going to get two or three or four good games out of them and, you know, disappear uh, before it all turns to hell again. Now... I think the Jets should have done something because clearly Zach, Zach Wilson was going to be the guy. Tim Boyle, you know, with all due respect to him, was only there because Aaron Rodgers liked him. Like, he wasn't a real option, you know what I mean? So they needed, they needed something else, anything else. And it honestly doesn't matter what it was. Just make a move before the deadline where you can't really make moves anymore, and they didn't do anything. So I think their season went up in smoke when Rodgers went down. That being said... If you want the real difference between the Jets and the Browns this year, it's the offensive line. Now, I know the Browns are now down like three starting caliber tackles, but the Jets never had three starting caliber tackles in the first place. And even had Aaron Rodgers been healthy all year, that line might have been a problem bad enough to prevent the team, you know, having the kind of success that they wanted anyway. So I think the true cause of death for the jet season this year is rogers not making it past you know the first drive but the biggest problem on the roster was the offensive line yeah that's where i was going to go next yeah cause of death that's what we were we're calling it that but we were definitely highlighting that in our uh, autopsies well, that's, here yeah that's what the, right? uh, the coroner does right yes um the jets offensive line the, the only there's only two offensive lines in the nfl or just two teams in the nfl because this includes tight ends running backs that are bottom five in both pass blocking and run blocking grade. And it's the Giants and Jets. It's all in the same stadium. There has not been good blocking mm. in that stadium. Or when they go on the road for that matter. Uh, Jets having the third lowest pass blocking grade. So 
it, it is interesting that if, if Aaron Rodgers was there, what would that look like? Because he always had pretty pristine pass blocking in Green Bay. I don't think he always, uh, Rodgers always had the best pass catchers outside of Devontae Adams. He always had like a, a, a true number one type. Right. But I don't think he had a great receiving core ever. But he always had really good pass protection. And, you know, that, that would have been, that's the offseason priority for the Jets. Which is why on the review show the other day, I said they just fell to ninth in the draft order. They might be out of the running for one of the two blue chip offensive tackles. We'll see if other guys emerge. But um, something to keep an eye on here for the Jets. Cause of death, Aaron Rodgers plus the offensive line. Good job by the defense. Second straight year. Yeah. Just incredible job by the defense. Number one coverage grade in the NFL. And it's not just corners. It is their entire back seven has been elite this year. Yeah, and I know they've given up a lot of points in certain games and they've kind of collapsed in certain games. I, I don't know that you can overstate, you know, how important it is that the offense is just not bringing anything to the table. Like, even though the Browns are in a similar situation in terms of elite defense, uh, backup quarterbacks, like their offense has always been able to move the ball more or less, right? They've been able to at least hold up their end of the bargain for a while and at least give the defense the feeling that all they need to do is to hold again, right? The Jets are in this rut now where they know the offense isn't going to move the ball. It's probably going to go three and out. They're going to be back in the field again. And then they just, you know, they, they know they're, if they don't score, it's not enough. So I think people are giving the Jets defense a little bit too much criticism because of the way they've fallen I'm off. I'm not seeing that. Where are you seeing that? It's out there. Okay. Uh, the points against number, again, like every, there, there are dependencies in every stat and number. That does depend on the offense too. Right. You know, it is a big factor. Field position and, like you said, just the, the mental toll. We've got to pitch a shutout here. Um, so I think the Jets' defense has been, has been very good for the most part this season. All right, we've got no more use for the Jets. <laughs> As a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan, meal, meal plan even, for the, even, even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Well, Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to cover in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting health questions. All right, man, staying in the AFC East, the New England Patriots eliminated. Eliminated. They're 4-11, and 11, eliminated from playoff contention. Number four overall draft pick at the moment. 1-7 at home. It was uh, the Patriots hit rock bottom multiple times this year. <laughs> multiple times. They're starting to creep out of it the last few weeks. There's a little, uh, you know, optimism. I, it's not even optimism. They're playing better in recent weeks. They're winning a few games, but rough season in New England this year. Yeah, they hit rock bottom and then bounced on rock bottom a few times. Yeah, remember, like, it felt like they hit rock bottom in week four and then like week eight and then week 12. And mm. then you know, it's crawling back up right now and crawling out of uh, top two pick con consideration. Yeah. Um, well, their biggest problem is that Mac Jones played like crap. It's pretty simple. Yeah. The, you know, the Bill O'Brien coming in to fix him and get Mac Jones back to being the rookie version of Mac Jones didn't work. Mac Jones played terribly. 
he, I mean, he lost it. He completely unraveled. And that should have been benched long before he actually was. And the only reason he wasn't is that Bailey Zappi is the only alternative they had. And they knew that that's unlikely to be the dramatically better than, than Mac Jones. Now he was last game. But by and large, I think Bailey Zappi is going to give you vaguely comparable play to what Mac Jones was giving you. So they just persisted. And Jones never pulled himself out of this. I mean, he had 11 big-time throws this year, which is whatever. It's a fine number. 23 turnover-worthy plays. Like a turnover-worthy play rate of almost 6%. That's huge. More interceptions than touchdowns. 6.1 yards per attempt. Like a grade of 52 when he was at 80 in his rookie season. I mean, his grading has now gone 80, 67.5, which was like a crisis of, of you know, regression that we had to avert and, and reverse course on and then continued plumbing new depths to 52.2. I That's amazingly terrible as a as a career arc You've gone from really encouraging start worrying regression year two and then absolute collapse year three and now the guy's career is like toast and he was pretty good in weeks one and two like weeks one and two they they took it to the eagles had a fourth quarter comeback attempt that fell short same thing in the miami game in week two and honestly even that game was like i'm not saying he was great i'm just saying it it like the wheels really fell off yeah but it was like a good week one right good opening week and that had a bunch of turnover worthy plays but good like he had some big time throws in there grade was good three touchdowns 300 yards like good week one week two not so much they clung in the game and yeah but you know so the the overall results were okay but his performance was a little bit ropey and then from that point on it's like awful it really puts a wrench in player evaluation and look i think the way we tend to do it the pff grade is supposed to isolate you know players performance and then we look for context around that which is why we talk so much about my uh, cal shanahan and his scheme and all the derivatives of that scheme and how much those might prop up a player because those things matter the context matters it really throws a wrench in the analysis when you have a guy like mac jones who had a very encouraging rookie season and it was really just the first 11 or 12 weeks whatever that cutoff was like if you do if you do a certain time period back to like week 12 or 13 of his rookie season I mean he's the worst quarterback in the NFL by a wide margin yeah but for the first 10 or 11 weeks it was like this is a very impressive rookie season he's accurate making good decisions and you know Mac Jones looks pretty good and then it's like all right well in year two they really screwed him right they brought in the defensive coordinator they brought in a defensive guy to call plays he's never done that of course that's the reason why he regressed and then they bring in his old buddy right this is what throws the wrench in the analysis they bring in his old familiar play caller and Bill O'Brien this is going to save Mac Jones and it got worse to your point um, those are challenging <laughs> you know when you just a guy like it was clearly something mental was happening he wasn't seeing the field he wasn't caught you know, everything was off and he was just put, put the ball on the turf throwing the ball to the defense over and over again it was bad it was just very bad you remember at draft time who my comp for Mac Jones was Mark Bulger yeah doesn't it feel like he just had Mark Bulger's career but in like three seasons yeah. You, like, condense the timeline, but it's the same thing. Like, start off, wow, look at this guy. Where did he come from? Look at what we found. And then it sort of progressively got worse, and the, ultimately the end was miserable, and they had to get rid of him. Like, he just went on the entire Mark Bulger career arc in three seasons. <laughs> to remind people about what Mark Bulger did, and it's it's fascinating given, given all of the discussions these days about systems and playmakers and everything. In 2002, Mark Bulger was a rookie. He came in for an injured Kurt Warner and was very good. Now, Kurt Warner 
came out of nowhere and put up those MVP right. caliber numbers and was thrown to Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and as Hakeem with this. It wasn't an easy system with Mike Martz, but it was an aggressive NFL hasn't seen it type of system. And Warner does these great things. Trent Green also came in and did these great things when he was hurt, you know, replacing Warner, flipping the script. And then Bolger comes in, goes six and one, passer rating of uh, 101 at that time is massive. Right. And then they gave him the job. Like they kicked Warner out of the building because Bolger was so good. And he goes 12 and three the next year with a bunch of picks because, you know, that's what that system does. But a lot of yards and. So Bulger has a few years of just incredible production and then completely lost it, right? His sack rates through the roof, and uh, he wasn't as good. Yeah, and his – I mean, the offensive line fell apart with the Rams. It was bad anyway, and it got worse. Um, like, part of the reason Kurt, uh, Kurt Warner was was kicked to the curb is that the offensive line had kind of broken him a few times, and it was – and Mark Bulger was able to make it work – <clears throat> but the offensive line never got any better. In fact, it got worse, and that it ended up breaking Mark Bulger as well. But, yeah, I mean, I think Bulger hit higher heights than Mac Jones ever sure. did. Yeah. But it is a comparable sort of progression here. Like, he started off the, – the, the start of his career is the best thing that he's shown, and then it got progressively worse from there. He got worse. The situation around him got worse, and I think those two things <laughs> – It's really good. Like, folded in on a spiral, and just the whole thing – went to hell i mean if you just need the perspective you're i mean you're right it's compressed yeah um and bulger hit high highs you know he's four thousand yard passer all these things when that stuff mattered i think um but then the last three years of bulger's career passer rating in the 70s low 70s and two and ten two and thirteen one and seven his last three years starting right so the team had success early team had zero success toward the end and you know all of his production fell off Mm -hmm. google mark bulger stats It's it's an interesting comp um, the one thing, I, the last thing I just wanted to say here, again, in the challenge of player evaluation and how much the situation matters, and we try to quantify the situation, and then it looks like the situation gets better and the production gets worse. But is this the biggest drop off for a rookie quarterback that showed promise since RG3? I think it is. I don't think we've seen too many, like RG3 was rookie of the year, Mac Jones was the best. By a mile. Remember the 2021 class? Yeah. Trevor Lawrence was terrible. Justin Fields couldn't figure it out. Uh, Trey Lance never saw the field. And Zach Wilson has been pretty much the same guy the entire time. Mac Jones was the only guy showing promise. It was like Mac Jones, then Davis Mills for a while, ranking the 2021 class until Trevor Lawrence took his big step and started playing well. And Justin Fields showed, showed something. I mean, that's what it was. And then that completely flipped. So um, I think it's the biggest drop-off for a, for a rookie quarterback since RG3. I mean, and I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think of others who were better as a rookie and then just, you know, disasters in year two and three. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't as smooth a, a, a progression as that, but Baker Mayfield set rookie records and then at the end of last season was like, this guy can't play anymore. Yeah, there, that, that's true. Baker had elements of that. And RG3, you could go back and – there was a distinct point in time where his knee injury yeah. in the playoffs that affected him the next year. He tried to play a different style. There were right. there were probably more reasons for RG 3s drop off than maybe for Mac Jones because again, like Baker Mayfield, Mac Jones drop off didn't matter. But I mean that's the cause of death, man. The other part is the reason why we're here. Bill Belichick, the GM, is under fire. Clearly, he can still coach defense. Their defense is playing really well despite all the all the injuries that they've had on that side of the ball. But the offense has been a disaster, and whatever offensive development they had for Mac Jones, the playmaker situation 
the offensive line, not signing tackles this offseason, all that stuff added yeah. up that the the offense was just right. incompetent compared to the rest of the league. Yeah, I don't think it's all Mac Jones' fault, but ultimately the cause of death of the Patriots is he completely collapsed and unraveled and they didn't have a viable quarterback of any description. Um, like, certainly earlier in the year, the offensive line was at its worst. Um, the skill position players, I think, are still a weakness, but not like they're not prohibitively bad. Like Every time the Patriots play... There's a deep ball that goes off, and you're like, oh, look, Devontae Parker's with the Patriots still. Yeah. You know, you would know it from like production or like, you know, any kind of offensive success. But like, if Devontae Parker was transported onto a working offense, you'd be like, he's a pretty useful receiver. But with the yeah, Patriots. Yeah, as a three, that doesn't, you know, that is like George Pickens, right? Doesn't. Yeah, but I think like the, the fact that the situation is as bad as it is makes that off, makes the receiving group look worse. Yeah. You know, for sure. like, and it's been. Not just this year, but this has been a multi-year problem. Like, it, it's not a good receiving core, but I, I don't think it's been as bad as it's looked for years because everything around it is worse. All right, let's go to the Tennessee Titans. Eliminated. 5-10, and ten, Tennessee Titans. Cause of death for the Titans this season. Uh, the, I mean, one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Man, this it's is going to be a consistent terrible. trend. Yeah, Jets, it is. Patriots, Titans... Um, it's actually, I think, giants. rare where you get, you know, a collection of teams, either good or bad, where everything sort of points in one direction. But, but basically every team that's been eliminated so far is a terrible offensive line. So you're going with the specific cause of death. I'll take it a step back and say I, this was the team last year at this time when we got into the offseason talk and what was going to happen in free agency. Uh, two things happened. They, well, one really thing, one real big thing happened. The Titans started a rebuild last offseason, right? We would, sit, we would say when we were fixing every team in five minutes before free agency, we'd look at every team's depth chart, and they all had reasonable starters. And they, they had sort guys of did. ready to come back. Yeah. But the Titans had to get they, – they, they overhauled the whole thing. They, they released a whole bunch of good players. And then they brought in a DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. Like, right? So they went – they were the half in, half out, where right. competitive rebuild. I mean, to me, that's where it went wrong it, as far as, like, why didn't they make the playoffs this year? They're they're in the middle of this competitive rebuild. We want to be good enough, but we just yeah we're we're thinking to the future. We're thinking about next year. Um, on field, absolutely, the offensive line has been rough. And when the guys have been injured, they're putting in backups that aren't much better because that's what happens with backups. Um, so yeah, it's definitely that. Um, I think the cornerback situation. It's the worst outside corner cornerback uh, situation in the NFL this year. Um, so I think there's been a few issues, but. The reason is they're in the middle of this competitive rebuild, and the competitive part was was lacking this year. Yeah, they ranked dead last in pass blocking efficiency as an offensive line this season, and that's a hard thing to do this year of all years when you consider some of the offensive lines that are out there. Actually, how many teams have we got that are eliminated? Eight. Um, sounds right. Um, well, the bottom four are. One, two, three. Seven, eight. Yeah. So for the the bottom four spots in pass blocking efficiency in terms of offensive lines this season are eliminated. Five out of the bottom six are eliminated. Like almost all of the worst offensive lines in the league this year in terms of pass blocking are already dead. Like it's a it's a big it's a big uh, connecting factor here. Yeah. I mean that's. That's an issue. Creep back toward average, all of you. Right. The only, I mean, the Jets were next. The Jets are second worst uh, in terms of pass blocking efficiency. The Titans are worse than the Jets. That's how bad they have been. 
Yeah, I think that's I mean that's part of the thing that was supposed to be uh, in Brock Purdy's favor favor is that the 49ers pass blocking grades at least are like in that same boat as some of these other teams and they're still able to produce at a at a top top notch level. I know that's not the story this week, but um, anything else about the the Tennessee Titans and how they got here? We see on the screen here one of their big offseason moves signing left tackle Andre Dillard. He had never really been a starter yeah. for an extended period of time. That has not worked out. So again, I think it's they felt like they were in this like look at the, the contract for Andre Dillard, three years, twenty nine million. That's like a mid level tackle contract. Everything that they did felt kind of half in, half out. I'm not saying that signing a tackle for three years just under ten million a year is bad, but everything that the Titans did was kind of like Hey, we're going to get rid of the high-priced guys. We're going to bring in some, you know, mid-tier type of starters at mid-tier money, but we really want to build through the draft and rebuild it, you know, from yeah, the Yeah, like the 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 halfway house of competitive rebuild, I don't I don't really have a take on either way. I don't have a problem with it. I, there are teams that do it. I, I don't know if I would go that approach if I was, you know, in charge of a team, but I don't think that that's a a reason that things didn't work out. Ultimately, the problem was they just made too many mistakes in terms of personnel. Like they, they had a bunch of different moves that were a part of this whole thing and almost all of them have failed. So spending money on Andre Dillard to come in and fix your left tackle spot, that was a, it's, this is not a hindsight move. That was a move that at the time looked ridiculous as a concept, right? There's literally nothing other than the fact that Dillard was a former first round pick that says that's going to work. He's been a pretty bad NFL player, and the chances of him having not only a career year, but like improving his baseline going from A, the best offensive line in the NFL, and B, the best offensive line coach in the NFL to your team, neither of those things are true, uh, is minimal, and it didn't work out. So that's one. Traylon Burks, you know, first-round wide receiver, essentially has to replace A.J. Brown because they traded him away. So far, Traylon Burks has done almost nothing and has been banged up and injured, et cetera, et cetera. So that didn't work. Um, you know, they spent big money on edge rushers recently. That hasn't worked out. Uh, Bud Dupree is already not with the team. Harold Landry's been injured. So, okay, that's not a, that's just unlucky. Um, but just so many moves that they've made across this roster have almost all failed. And that's, that's a huge problem. Like, you just can't swing and miss that many times. And, and have it work out. I mean, Will Levis right now has the potential to basically rescue this entire roster. And honestly, he might not be getting enough credit for how he's playing when you consider how bad the offensive line is in front of him. Um, because, I mean, you shouldn't be able to play even vaguely functional football behind that group. Yeah, I think that sums it up. Third, uh, the other thing, again, I'll mention is the, the pass defense has not been great. Uh, third worst, EPA per play allowed against the pass this year and I think a lot of it is in that secondary particularly at cornerback right Bring and that's a- same idea right like the moves that they've made there you know they draft a first uh, first round corner complete failure total an utter failure um Sean Murphy Bunting comes in as a free agent hasn't played up to the level they need or expected from him like again just the moves they've made they've whiffed the real cause of death, though, as you highlighted, was uh, two years ago, A.J. Brown. <laughs> yeah. Been, it's been downhill since the— Trade uh, away your one superstar. Since, yes, since the A.J. Brown trade. Rather than pay him what is a pretty modest contract from a wide receiver point of view. Again, at a high level, you know, understanding that 
how did they get to the AFC Championship in 2019 and were very competitive with Ryan Tannehill? Was there run game elements? Was it re relying on Derrick Henry? Like, I think they did well with that, but I think the elite receiver, A.J. Brown, was the driver for Tannehill's most productive seasons and for the Titans' best seasons. And we're in that world where if you don't have an elite quarterback, and there's very few of those elite quarterbacks, if you don't have one, elite receiver is the next best thing to elevate your offense. Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of these problems are just effects, lingering effects from, you know, previous – you know, John Robinson has been fired as GM, but a lot of these are his moves we're yeah. talking about. Like, it's just – this is the, the cause and effect of a few years of bad roster and cap management. All right, let's wrap up the AFC with the Los Angeles Chargers – eliminated they're five and ten brandon staley head coach has been fired cause of death for the los angeles chargers yeah this one's tougher because they're not one of the teams with a bad offensive line too much hope it was just too much hope. <laughs> so they have a pretty good offensive line they've also got justin herbert now he's been banged up again for the second year in a row honestly their biggest problems have been i mean you know brandon staley's inability to turn that defense into anything viable has been a problem since he got there. That's a big issue. But basically just, like, players that are supposed to be pillars of this thing not firing, you know? Like, yeah. the player, the player who we must not mention, I think we can go back to mentioning him because he's not playing well. Derwin James. Ooh, there it Derwin is. James. First time in over a year. Right. Has had a terrible year this year. And he's not alone. I'm not saying it's all Derwin James' fault, but... Derwin James not playing well. Quentin Johnston, first-round wide receiver, not being able to be a factor this year at all has been a huge problem for them because additional moves that they made, Mike Williams, $20 million a year for a guy that's consistently fragile and gets broken. Well, he gets broken, and now you don't have your $20 million a year receiver, and the guy that you drafted to potentially be Mike Williams' contingency can't factor either. So that's two-thirds of your top three receivers just not – doing anything this year um austin eckler gets hurt comes back doesn't look like the same guy again since that point um joey bosa has done very little this season like everywhere you look just the players that were supposed to be you know the reason this team was good have not been the the one other thing i'll add at a high level it feels like they've been playing roster whack-a-mole during the brandon staley era um, and Tom Telesco also got fired as GM. Right. He'd been there before Brandon Staley for a while. It feels like roster whack-a-mole, right? The 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 storyline for Justin Herbert after his rookie season was like, played well under pressure. Please don't let that happen again. Let's get a good offensive line. And they did it. They rebuilt their offensive line, and it, and it was pretty good. And then all of a sudden coming into – or after last year, it was like, man, they're lacking speed. They don't have explosive playmakers, and their playmakers keep getting hurt. We don't want Justin Herbert not – I mean, there's a lot of talk about Mahomes and who he's throwing to right now. Last year, Herbert had, di didn't have Mike Williams, didn't have Keenan Allen for big chunks of the season. Don't want to let that happen again. They drafted Quentin Johnston. He's been disappointing. Mike Williams gets hurt again. And now they're still in the same spot, right? Offensive lines, better. But the playmaking situation is now an issue. I think defensively, whack-a-mole. This is a team that was getting run on like crazy for years. Multiple-year problem for the Chargers. They actually improved their run defense this year. Now they can't stop the pass. Right. They were getting obliterated by the pass. Like that should have been Brandon Staley's strong suit, right? We thought Brandon Staley was like, sure, and run the ball on us all you want. We're going to stop the pass. Right. Whack-a-mole all across everything the Chargers are doing. That's not a cause of death, 
But it's like a it, to me, it's a descriptor of what we've seen over the last few years for the Chargers. It is kind of funny. Everywhere you looked, where initially Brandon Staley was given this sort of credit for maybe he's playing 4D chess, <laughs> turns out he might have actually just been terrible. <laughs> the fourth down stuff, right? It's like ah, oh, the man's you know pushing the boundaries of analytics. And so no, it turns out he was just crazy. You know, he went hyper aggressive with fourth downs in the first year, realized it was suicidal and insane, and then dialed it way back the second year. And same thing with the run. It's like, oh, he's inviting them. He wants you to run the ball because he knows it's less efficient. Like, no, it turns out he was just terrible. And then once you fix the run game, the pass was equally as bad, and it didn't work that way either. Like, every, everywhere he was given any modicum of credit, it turns out in future, actually, no, we just – it turns out that's not what was happening at all. He was I, just lucky that way. I feel attacked. Yeah? I feel like you're speaking directly to me. I'm not. I'm just saying, people. If you, if you were people, so be it. Speaking of people – Let's let's. Th- th- this is the other thing that sums it up. Clearly, Brandon Staley overall did not do a great job as head coach mm. for the Chargers. They did make the playoffs last year, but you would say, given a rookie contract, Justin Herbert, and I don't care where the discourse is on Herbert, he's a top five to eight quarterback, probably closer to five than eight, and he's on a rookie deal, and so that's a wasted few years for the Chargers that they didn't even win a playoff game and they they blew a twenty whatever point lead in the playoffs. It is just, it's very interesting, the hiring process. Look at the difference between a Brandon Staley and a Dan Campbell and how we do the whole head coach hiring thing. And when people ask me, who's a good head coach candidate? And I insist, I don't know. Like, how could I possibly know? Like, Ben Johnson from the Lions is going to be the hottest name Mm -hmm. this offseason because he calls the best plays. But three years ago, Brandon Staley called the coolest defensive plays. He wasn't two gapping. He wasn't one gapping. He was one and a half gapping. He was changing the defensive scheme. It was the hot scheme. It was the scheme that was going to shut down Mahomes and the Chiefs and the best offenses. He was the best defensive play caller, the new hot defensive mind. It didn't matter because forget the X's and O's. Whatever it was, he was not getting the players on the team to play well. Dan Campbell in Detroit, what scheme is he associated with? Nothing. There's no scheme. You're not like he doesn't. He doesn't, he, doesn't have, he doesn't have to have a downhill power running attack. He doesn't have to have a blitz-heavy scheme on defense. He doesn't have to have anything. He just hires people that are going to be good, gets the right people in the building, and motivates them and gets them playing well, which ultimately a head coach probably has to do. Some of them are going to call plays. It's just an interesting dynamic when we get into head coach hiring season. Clearly, Staley was not great at his job, and a guy like Dan Campbell is, and we always tend to lean on you know, the play calling and the stuff that we can see when the most important stuff is the stuff we can't see. You know that moment in movies where somebody like questions the power of God and then there's like a rumble of thunder and they're like, oh, I take it back, you know, uh, well, we, I, I mentioned the player's name and the building lost internet for 60 seconds. <laughs> we lost Wi-Fi and ethernet. So, did we? Yeah. So did, maybe, uh, did maybe I won't. Did the stream get? It, it buffered for a while and now we're back, but maybe I won't mention his name again because apparently there is power there that I, I <laughs> mocked. <laughs> Uh, number three on the Chargers. Can't do it again. Yeah. All right. Autopsy done on the uh, on the Chargers. Yeah. So cause of death, I think, is the important players just not either not being healthy again or not playing at the level that they need to play at. All right, let me find. Including, my... by the way, Justin Herbert. I mean, his at least I think have reasons for it. You know, like broken fingers and stuff. But he didn't play as well as he did previously, and that's a that's an important element of this team not playing as well. He's been hurt the last two years. Yeah. And so how much – look, I think there's a lot of QBs through the years that have played hurt. Yeah. And you don't know it. 
Right, or but you like, don't, but you there's don't focus on it. You don't think about it. Yeah, but. but there's a difference between playing hurt and playing with that giant like scaffolding rig in his finger. Like, uh, you know, I, I like I say, it's not his fault. But him playing not as well as he played in the past absolutely contributes to the team not playing well. All right, before we get to the NFC, I want to tell everybody about our Prize Picks lineup for this week. PFF Prize Picks lineup from our guy Eli in the booth. We're going to go uh, Tampa Bay Bucks running back Rashad White more than 69 and a half rushing yards against the Saints. DeAndre Hopkins of the Titans, more than 54 and a half receiving yards against the Texans. And then Matthew Stafford of the Rams, more than 255 and a half passing yards against the Giants. That's all this weekend, New Year's Eve day. Uh, going more on all three because we're, we're optimistic here. We like playing more over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The, most ex- the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. So you pick more, you pick less. It's that easy. Instead of battling thousands of players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on a two to six player stat projection and watch the winnings roll in. You play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries of some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy. So listen up, your entries, they stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player that exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So you heard our lineup. You can follow along. You can do it yourself. Go check out PrizePix, and you pick more, you pick less. That's it. You go to prizepix.com slash PFFNFL. You use the code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's Again, that's prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL and get your first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. All right, NFC, starting in the East. Well, let's start with Washington because we have breaking news. Washington Commanders eliminated their 4-11. and Breaking news from Sam. Uh, Sam Howell's been benched. Jacoby Brissett will start against the 49ers. You're welcome, Jacoby. Coach Rivera is announcing. This is an interesting one um, because clearly Sam Howell's hit a little bit of a rough patch here. You know, take that description that you had for Mac Jones mm-hmm. and take take Mark Bolger's career and compress it to Mac Jones and compress it even further maybe to, Sam, a single season. to Sam Howell. Um, Howell never wasn't really that great. He was just uh, intriguing, but clearly he's hit a rough patch here. But the commanders, man, this is a move. Ron Rivera, almost certainly one foot out the door, uh, much like Lovey Smith last year, playing to win when the Texans could have had the number one overall pick. The commanders are sitting there with the third overall pick, and they're going to start Jacoby Brissett, who is definitely playing better than Sam Howell right now. Yeah. And this could hurt the commanders' draft stock a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's the right move in that Sam Howell has just collapsed uh, in recent weeks. Um, but... It, there's no there's no like long-term purpose to this move you know what I mean like Jacoby Brissett obviously isn't the answer in any kind of long term Sam Howell doesn't look like is the answer long term either but at least like he was the guy you were looking at this year um so if you have any I mean it's almost basically an admission at this point that we just don't have a quarterback anymore so I have to sit this guy down. He's playing terribly. It's not helping him or us being out there right now. We're going to turn to Jacoby Brissett and hope that we're better this week. But it is basically, you know, rolling up the white flag, rolling, uh, putting up the white flag and saying this season's done. We're, we're toast. The Sam Howell thing didn't work. Sorry. And we're out. 
Um, but man, you look at—I mean, he was a guy that was throwing regularly for over 300 yards, over seven yards per attempt. The last what five weeks now? Um, 255, 300, 127, 102, 56. Uh, two touchdowns in that five-week period. None of those games were over seven yards per attempt. Most of them were under six. Uh, the last two have been 3.9 and then 2.5. Just a complete I, collapse is the word, like a complete and total collapse of Sam Howell's ability to move the ball, to play functional offense, to do anything positive. Yeah. Sam Howell's game, you've highlighted it the last few game reviews. Look, the negative stuff was there, and you could say, hey, "Is it you know young quarterback? He's gonna he's gonna take those the sacks, the negative plays. He's gonna put the ball in harm's way." But at least, right? But at least once a game, twice a game, three times a game, he's making special throws, tight window throws, scrambles. Remember I, the the one week against New England? I think he had the best throw of the week, the best scramble of the week, and the worst interception right. of the week for all quarterbacks, all in one. At least there were two good plays in there. Those have been gone these last few weeks. Um, to me, it's just a, it's a football decision by the coaching staff who only sees the next week. I don't think they th they're not thinking long term for the future of the commanders and draft position or anything like that. They don't care. Ron Rivera and in the coaching staff, they're just trying to say, hey, we're going to do what football coaches do and try to win the next football game. And the best person to give us a chance to win next week is Jacoby Brissett. But I think and that's it, the decision. I think it probably also says they don't think how can pull himself out of this. Like it's, you know, if you thought that Howell might be able to get himself out of the, the rut that he's in right now, you might give him another shot and keep going until he does. I think it's also an admission that whatever nosedive he's in right now is a terminal one and he's not coming out of the other side of it. Because the funny thing is, like all the criticisms we had about him earlier in the season, he's actually improved those things. Like he's getting sacked way less than he was earlier in the year. He got sacked once against the Jets. Like, okay, yeah. he got benched, so he didn't play the whole game. But 23 <laughs> dropbacks, he got sacked one time. I mean, the first, what, like, the first week, he got sacked six times on 40 dropbacks against Arizona, who don't have a pass rush. Like, you know, it's a different world. He is, um, earlier in the season, the first seven weeks of the year, he, every single week, he had a sack on more than 21% of his pressure dropbacks. That's a huge number. Uh, since... Week nine, no, since week, since that point, since week seven, only one time has he been above like 19%. So he's completely shifted like the single biggest problem in his game that's actually improved dramatically, which for him, I think is really big because that was a problem that dated back to college and has always been there. So for him to make like material inroads on that element of his game is actually an amazing sign of like growth potential. The problem is, I don't know if it's caused a subsequent collapse in every other element of his game or if it's just coincidental that whilst he's improved his ability to avoid sacks, he has ceased to become, he has ceased to be a viable quarterback in any other area. So it doesn't matter. Like he's actually, he's made a, a, an improbable improvement to his biggest weak point as a quarterback. And at the same time, cause or effect has like lost the abilities that he had elsewhere I, I do think it's um, a struggle for every quarterback that we would describe as volatile and again I don't know what those discussions are like inside the building do you think you know, the QB coach isn't like hey Sam you're a real you're a real boomer bust quarterback you know we gotta find the balance there 
But every volatile quarterback does have to find that balance. Whether you're volatile at a high level like Josh Allen, right, where the highs are as high as any quarterback in the league, but it comes with turnovers. Or if you're a Sam Howell who's young and it's like, hey, we, you know, don't get sacked five or six times a game, but you're also making three or four really nice plays per game. Finding that balance is always a struggle, whether you're Sam Howell, whether you're Jameis Winston, whether you're Josh Allen. Like, it's all different elements of the spectrum. The cause of death for Washington, and by, by the way, I think it's interesting that Washington and Atlanta were the two teams who bought into a third and a fifth round QB, not sight unseen, but with very little experience and just went all in with those guys this year. Probably won't work out for the Falcons. Still a chance that they make the playoffs. Didn't work out for Washington. I don't think it was a, it doesn't mean it was necessarily a bad strategy. I don't know if there were great alternatives, but that was the strategy. Um, the cause of death for Washington, though, was Sam Howell ends up regressing. But all of that, I mean, the defense was a disaster. Yeah, Absolute honestly. train wreck. And then they, in turn, ended up trading you know, their two best defensive linemen, two of their best defensive linemen, Montez Sweat and Chase Young. The defense might be the cause of death, actually. Like, that's okay, what it really was. Sam Howell's yeah. falling apart, and that's where their season, that's why they're turning to, to Jacoby Brissett now. But, I mean, Sam Howell was playing pretty well till week nine or ten and at that point they were still you know one two three four they were four and six seven so they were still a losing team even when Sam Howell was playing quite well and then when Sam Howell stopped playing quite well they haven't won a game since that point so he like him playing well or not was the difference between struggling to below 500 to you're not going to win anymore like if he's playing this badly you have zero chance of winning games when he was playing reasonably well or at least giving a bunch of big plays you had a shot but you were still losing most games because your defense was terrible um you use that term whack-a-mole a lot with roster construction the other thing that it, it that is in that same kind of realm to me is if you're chasing problems with your golf swing you as a uh, you i've seen your golf swing <laughs> but like uh you know, uh, one it, out of every 20 is pretty sweet. I assume at some point, if you're a good enough golfer, this stops happening. But if you're a terrible golfer, as most people are, you can only sort of think about one element of your swing at a time, right? Yeah. So something has happened to your golf swing. You find somebody who can point out the flaw, you know, a pro or whatever, and you'd be like, oh, here's your issue. You got to, you know, tuck this elbow. That's the, so you constantly think about tucking this elbow. And then while you fix that, something else goes out of whack, right? Like your hip rotation is off or you're, you're not looking at the point or your head's coming up too soon or whatever it is. And you just spend your entire life like chasing the next problem from your golf swing and only thinking about one thing at a time and then something else goes out of whack and then you got to think about that thing. I wonder if that happens with quarterbacks where, and who knows, he might not even be aware of this as like a problem or the coaching staff's never brought it up. But like if you're Sam Howell and you look at his early season like we were and you're like, there's a lot to work with here, but the dude takes sacks at a like, ridiculous level. He's got to fix that. Like, did he spend the next six weeks going, I, I got to avoid the sacks. All I got to think about is not taking sacks. And then doing that, like focusing so much on improving the sack thing. Just getting rid of the ball. And, when everything yeah. else went to hell. And now you got to go back to, you know, I don't know if that happens with quarterbacks where if they're working really hard to improve one specific facet, everything else kind of goes out of whack because your entire mind is, is focused on that. Or, as I say, it could be complete coincidence that more or less at the same time, his sack rate dramatically improved. Everything else went to hell. The last, th I mean, the last thing I want to say here about Washington, 
if I'm Josh Harris, the owner, I'm stepping in and not letting this happen. What? They, this? The move? I'm not letting Jacoby Brissett start. What? Why? Washington's 4-11, and currently the number three pick. If Arizona wins one of the next two games, maybe it's a long shot. I don't know the exact tiebreakers. Like if Arizona and Washington both have the same record, I don't know what the tiebreaker situation would look like. The number two pick is that valuable that I don't care about these last two games to to have Jacoby Brissett go out there just because he's going to play against, better than Sam Howell. I mean, they're also against San Francisco and Dallas. It's against San Francisco and Dallas. You're <laughs> probably going to lose anyway. Right. But they be, like Sam Howell, got, in his first NFL start, they beat the Cowboys in Week 18 last year. Yeah. right? So you don't know what's going to happen. But Brissett, the last two times he's come in, this offense has looked dramatically different Yeah, so far from what we've seen. You think All I'm saying is, if, and Arizona doesn't have an easy road either. They have to play um, – who do they have this? Uh, San Francisco. Uh, no, it's uh, Seattle in the last week of the Philly season. Philly and Seattle. Philly and Seattle. Like, Arizona's probably going to lose the next two games. But if Arizona sneaks a win in there, and I all and as, uh, as the commanders, they sneak a win in there, and they had a chance to go up to the number two pick and have either Drake May or Caleb Williams, <laughs> that is a massive move, right? Again, the, the, the Lovey Smith one went from – it ended up working out. But Lovey Smith – Earned the Texans the two pick instead of one, and so they didn't have their choice of Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. They were they ended up with C.J. Stroud, which looks great for the Texans. This move, though, if Washington ends up picking third instead of second, you're looking at the difference between one of those two quarterbacks. Who knows what the drop off is to QB three in this class? Maybe grab a Marvin Harrison Jr. Like there are good players at the top, but you're missing out on one of those top two QBs. I mean, I don't think Jacoby Brissett makes much of a difference in terms of their ability to win either of these two games. If I was Josh Harris and I was intent on that, definitely, I need to lose these two games. I would let them start Brissett and I would have a word and say, hey, if by some miracle this game looks like it's actually going our way, find a way of making a balls of it in play calling terms, right? No, that's illegal. Run the ball. That is illegal. Whatever. All Run I'm the saying ball. is, it's a lot easier to say, yeah, Sam Howell's just a young quarterback still developing. Of course he's our starter. But the Eagles did this. They pulled their starting quarterback when they when they were, you know, when it looked like they could win a game. They I pulled know. the starting quarterback. They got it. Like, this was the – it was like a butterfly effect. You could – the entire Eagles thing almost traces back to that one decision to <laughs> lose a game deliberately. Week 18 game. Right. Butterfly affected into, like, six really good players. Yeah. So, I think you can just say, look – Put them in. That's fine. But if it looks like we're actually winning this game, you need to call seven straight run plays, you know, whatever. Find a way of losing it, even if it's not inserting Howe back into the lineup. I can't see that being an issue, but I think you can – there's a way of doing it. You don't – you know, you're not calling – you're not – call the fumble play. I'm not saying you do that, but, like, stop taking shots. (laughs) Let's let's call a draw here. We don't – Speaking of calling plays in. Yeah. New York Giants eliminated – yeah. Tommy DeVito's team. Tommy. Tommy. Giants 5-10. and 10, Cause of death for the Giants. Another team with the atrocious offensive line. It started early. Yeah. Hasn't really gotten much better. It was bad play plus injuries and the whole thing. But, yeah, the Giants have had a, a rough season coming off their playoff appearance. Yeah. Uh, I would say the offensive line is the underlying cause of all of it. Um, Evan Neal was supposed to – I mean, a lot rested on Evan Neal's – the supposition that he would take a big step forward in year two as a former first-round pick, high first-round pick, uh, who had a terrible year one. 
And a lot, like so much of the Evan Neal optimism, I think, was based around the idea that Andrew Thomas just did this, right? Terrible year one. Right, right. Really bad. And then look at him now. He's an all-pro. He got consistently better, and he took a huge step forward. Therefore, Evan Neal will too. And it's like, well, yeah. Number one, Andrew Thomas, it was a reason he played really badly to start with. They, like, completely rebuilt his pass sets, his mechanics, all of it. And he struggled really badly right away. There was also coaching uh, issues in terms of, you know, too many voices. They finally settled on a guy. All this kind of stuff. So there were a few things and reasons why Andrew Thomas's career arc looked the way it did. Number two, I don't think he was as bad as Evan Neal was right away. So, you know, I think there was a lot of projection that, like, this guy did it, therefore Evan Neal will. And there's been no evidence that that's going to happen. He's been atrocious, basically, from day one in the NFL. Doesn't look any better this year. Has been hurt as well, so hasn't got the chance to do it for a lot of the season. But... Basically, he's been no better, uh, and nothing else in the offensive line has been as well. Andrew Thomas has been hurt for a large period, so they haven't even had their one good player out there. But, you know, they've had to sign Justin Pugh off the couch. The John Michael Schmitz, the rookie center, hasn't played particularly well. The right guard situation has been bad. They've had a bad offensive line, and it's been banged up. So they've had to go into the bench where, you know, the bench is even worse. So... They're another one of those teams down at the very bottom end of pass-blocking efficiency. They are 30th. The Titans and the Jets are worse, but they're all atrocious. And then ironically, of the three quarterbacks who have started and have at least you know, 100, 200 dropbacks, Daniel Jones, the $40 million quarterback, has played the worst yeah. of those three. Played the worst, had the worst production. Small sample, you know, relative to an entire season. Maybe Jones would have come out of it, but... You know, coming off a year with Daniel Jones, it was like, all right, he did just enough, and he runs a little bit, and if, if the situation around him is fine, Daniel Jones can operate the offense and add some value with his legs, and yeah, he won a playoff game. So, you know, that really messed with people's minds. Mm. Um, but well, the situation around him was not great. Yeah, I, I mean, I, the, I think giving Daniel Jones the contract they gave him in the offseason was a mistake, but I don't think it's the cause of death for this season. I, the I offensive think, line. Yeah. Now, I is think, the cause of death. Because yes. this offense, 14.3 points per game, second worst in the NFL behind the Patriots. It's, it all starts up front for the Giants. Yeah. And run blocking too, right? It's, it's both. Right. Now, I think Daniel Jones was unusually bad for this offensive line. Like, if you, if you, start, if you get given the scenario and you say, hey, we're going to have a not great group of receivers and one of the worst offensive lines we've seen in the last decade, uh, who do you want as quarterback? Like, Daniel Jones apparently would be one of the last players that you want behind that offensive line because he makes it look even worse. And you can see that because every time any other quarterback comes in, it looks immediately better, whether it's Cutlets, whether it's Tyrod Taylor. Either one of those guys is a better option behind this line than Daniel Jones. So I think he poured gas on the fire, but the fire was the offensive line. It wasn't Daniel Jones. Like, the the fact that they are now saddled with his contract is a different problem. It's not the reason that this season stinks. Yeah, Daniel Jones, he was the culprit on a bunch of sacks as well. Yeah, I mean, so that, that's what I mean. Like, he lot. made the line look even worse. He made the problem look worse. He turned pressure into sacks. Like, he's an unusually bad quarterback for a bad offensive line. But that's not to say that the line itself wasn't the problem to start with. Uh, expected news, not so much breaking news, but Tyrod Taylor. We'll be getting the start this week. Good for Tyra. For the Giants. 
Linsanity is over. Linsanity is over. Is Tommy still going to be doing appearances? Well, they had to. He had to do a free one because they because they because of the the fallout from Did a free doubling his rates. The backup. <laughs> Does the backup cut his rate in half when he's the backup? I'll still do the appearance, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm the backup now. I don't know. Um, so Tyrod's going to start for the Giants. Yeah, I mean it was a. Uh, again, for me, I like to go back to like the the root cause. Obviously, it's the offensive line, but I think it was a misevaluation of where they were, too. Like they built this team like it was a playoff team that needed to like they wanted to keep the band back. They wanted to get the band back together on the playoff team from last year. God, how do we keep Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley? And we don't really want to pay Barkley, but we want to keep him around. How do we get the band back together? And then just add a Darren Waller, which like that should have been a great move for the Giants. On paper, you know, as long as he stayed healthy, all right. Now we've got this pass-catching tight end. Look how good we were on offense last year without great weapons. You added Darren Waller to the mix; that'll change everything. So it just—it felt like they were just adding pieces to a playoff team rather than it was year two of a rebuild, where in, in year one they happened to make the playoffs by a lot of luck. I think they got greedy when they when they went to last offseason because they had you know Daniel Jones. That decision was due. Saquon Barkley was there. I think they just wanted to keep – they didn't want to make the tough decision, which is, look, we can probably only keep one of these guys, and you have to make the call which one. And they went, no. Or we can actually just give Daniel Jones this contract, free up the franchise tag to use on Saquon Barkley, and then we can keep them both. Yeah. They're like, yeah, well, you can, but that's not – it doesn't come without cost, and the cost is – you gave Daniel Jones a giant contract when you weren't really sure he was the guy. Like, Daniel Jones last season was tailor-made for the franchise tag. That is why it exists, which is we have a guy who played pretty well in year one of a new system with a bad supporting cast around him. We don't know if he can be the guy yet, but we also don't know he can't. Like, he, played, he showed enough that we think, yeah, maybe. So you give him a franchise tag, you, let it, you see how it works this year. And then if it works out well again, or it gets even better, then you give him the big contract. Um, instead, they're like, no, we've seen enough already. Let's give him the contract now, uh, and let's just hope we're right. And they weren't. Like, you got, you got too greedy, and you got punished for it. Yeah. That's it for the Giants? Yep. Cause All of starts. death. Offensive line. Offensive line. The like, biggest cause again. of death. Uh, two more teams in the NFC that have been eliminated. The Carolina Panthers... They're 2-13, and 13, eliminated. eliminated. And the worst part of, about this is the team with the worst record in the NFL does not own their own first-round pick, so that's Oof. going to the Bears. Yeah. Um, another one where I think the biggest cause of death is the offensive line. Uh, now, there would be an interesting argument to be made that the cause of death is the meddling billionaire, but I think when you looked at this team— That's in, understood, though. For every team. <laughs> when you looked at this team heading into the season, it's like, okay, they made the move for Bryce Young. You kind of need Bryce Young to be good, but the rest of this roster, you know, receiving core is a problem. Uh, they traded away DJ Moore to make it happen. That's a concern. They didn't do a great job of backfilling that. They didn't find another move to make happen. A new Compkins, for example. They didn't do that. They went with what they had. But the supposition, I think, that was the most wrong from everybody was that offensive line looked okay. And then it hit the, we, hit, we hit the regular season, and it was immediately apparent that actually it's not okay at all. In fact, it's a train wreck. 
And, you know, former first-round pick Iki Aquanu has taken a huge step backwards. Like, there's been guys missing. Austin Corbett hasn't been there. Like, they, they haven't necessarily had the starting five that they wanted. But four out of the five linemen on that unit have been bad from basically start to finish. In hindsight, yeah, it looks bad. But if we came into the season, I mean, there's, there's probably a clip of me in the thousands and thousands of hours that we have recorded that if you, you assume a year to jump from Iki Iquanu, that he's going to play a little bit better. Taylor uh, Mouton has been one of the better right tackles, consistent right tackles in the league. Yeah, he's been those one your, out of the five that's been good. Those are your tackles. And you just mentioned an injured Austin Corbett and Bradley Bozeman mm-hmm. as two other starters. Those two are like the epitome of creep back to our yeah, average that's type what I'm of players, right? This so four out of five shouldn't looked have been, reasonable. Yeah, it shouldn't have been bad, but it is. But it's been horrendous. Um, and then I also, optimistic Steve, in the offseason, could have said, I kind of get it with the receiving core. You, you gave up DJ Moore. And look, I, I know Adam Thielen's not the same that he used to be, but he'll play uh, my most common reference. Thielen's been good. He's been good. He'll play late career Reggie Wayne. I didn't know they were going to move him in the slot necessarily, but yeah. he'll play, you know, dependable guy while you have the one-year flyer on DJ Chark. They just brought him in for one I mean, year just they, to be a receiver. If they drafted Puka Nakua or Tank Dell instead of Jonathan Mingo, right, how different would that situation be right now? It now, would probably feel different. I'm not saying Mingo has no shot in future. I still like Mingo's talent and his skill set, but it became – so a lot about this Carolina team – there was the offseason sort of discussion, the, the Bryce Young thing, and then there was those few months, right, where you kind of look at the lay of the land now, right? Free agency's done, the draft's done, um, post-free agency, post-draft. The roster is complete. Now let's look on paper what this should be going into the season. When you did that, there were a lot of things that were different in the season, and it became very clear very quickly that we just had it wrong from the, the, the on-paper analysis, Right. In preseason, that offensive line looked terrible. And obviously, preseason is preseason, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean anything. But that was the, one of the things that did mean something. You looked at multiple plays, you're like, guys, this, this Panthers offensive line might stink. And if it does, that's an issue. The line was terrible. And then the other thing that became clear very quickly was Jonathan Mingo is not going to be an immediate success. Like, all the way again through preseason, there was a ton of plays where him and Bryce Young are just not on the same page, and it didn't look like Bryce Young's fault, right? So I think Mingo can still be a productive player and a guy that has success in future, but it wasn't going to happen right away. Like, he's mentally behind the eight ball. Now, the concern is other players that that's been true for recently have never come back. I mean, that was a problem for Sky Moore last year, and he stinks at the moment. So I don't know if that's an indication that it's never going to be there for Mingo, but the point being... It was, it was obvious pretty quickly that he wasn't going to be a year one contributor or in any serious manner, but those were out there in the draft, right? And those are actually not that hard to find if you look throughout the draft these days. So if they had drafted a Tank Dell, you know, or uh, a Puka Nakua or any of these mid-round receivers that actually have immediate success, how much different would the situation look? That, that's why you have to, I think, draft in volume. You draft high-value positions in volume, um, a, a Packers strategy that we've talked about before. There's been multiple. Dontavian Wicks. And yeah. What if they drafted Dontavian Wicks? Right. Like the Packers in, in just forever have had years where they've drafted two or three corners, two or three receivers. And sometimes the fourth rounder is better than the second rounder or the fifth rounder is better than the third rounder. It right. happens. 
And so to me, that's the thing, right? They, once you trade DJ Moore, once you give up all that draft capital, it's going to take time to rebuild the assets to go build around Bryce Young. So it was always going to be a step back, I think, for the roster around Bryce Young before it goes forward. Now, again, it's the extra, you know, the extra pain of you, you would have had the number one overall pick again this year. Um, but they've got to battle back and and build that receiving core, find pass catchers, tight end has not been good. There's there's nothing for the future that feels good about Carolina's offense, basically. Yeah. And so all of that, I think, is the cause of death here. Yeah, I mean, my point with that is I the, the receivers are bad, but I think there might have been ways out of that, whereas the offensive line, that's the thing that underlies all this. I mean, there, you know, you look at that list again that I keep coming back to, the pass blocking efficiency Carolina are 29th so the Titans the Jets the Giants all of whom eliminated the Panthers are the next team in that list the offensive line is the underlying cause of all of this it's why Bryce Young doesn't look good um, I think the receivers will probably look better if um, you know if the offensive line was better and I think I think that receiving core might have been salvaged with like the the process right of Mingo high reasonably high draft pick to try and salvage that receiving group might have worked out if they just drafted a different guy right and obviously you have to hit the right one and you get lucky sometimes like the rams liked puka nakua but yeah of course there's luck in the in the fifth round yeah getting him there um, or even tank dell in the third right if tank dell's a couple inches taller he's early second yeah i mean i love tank dell but you know you need to you need to get lucky enough that yeah. he slides to that spot or, or a spot low enough that you can take him. All right, Arizona Cardinals eliminated. They're 3-12. and 12. Mm. Cause of death was I – mean, it's an interesting one for the Cardinals. They were in a, a unique situation. This one where it's not the offensive line. No. I mean, to me, it was, oh, go ahead. What do you think the cause of death was for the Arizona? Why did Arizona not make the playoffs this year? Why did they not make the playoffs? Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is they just don't have – defensive talent at all any of it yeah the offense has actually been okay it's been functional the offensive line has been okay it's been creep back toward average standard right the quarterback play between josh dobbs and then kyla murray has been fine the receivers have been a sort of pleasant surprise between various contributions from different players trey mcbride emerging as, as a true superstar tight end the offense has been okay the defense just it stinks it's just not good enough there's no talent there and you know, you sort of pinpoint various players that, that maybe they would have uh, placed some stock on improving. It just hasn't happened enough. The biggest issue, I think, is they have no real pass rush. I know the Barbarian has had a few sacks, not a huge consistent amount. I mean, Cameron Thomas, those, those mid-round draft picks that they, they grabbed a couple of, I mean, Majai Sanders is no longer with the team, and yep. Cameron Thomas hasn't gotten any better while he's been there. So that has been an issue. Zayvon Collins actually moving to the edge I mean I think he's their best graded defender this year um but even that has only been like a moderate success you know what I mean so I think they just don't have the defensive talent yeah I mean and again uh, you're given the on-field descriptions I appreciate that I'll go back to how did we get here which was they were in this unique position where they knew Kyler Murray was going to miss the majority of the season and they were in the middle of a regime change where the team didn't have talent. So they knew this was a rebuilding season. They knew this was a season where they should be picking first or second, and they're right now picking second. 
Um, so I think this was completely this is the expectation for the Cardinals. Uh, they overachieved early on because Josh Dobbs would ball out and um, they were playing hard, and that, I think that was great. It was a it was a perfect rebuild for Jonathan Gannon coming in as the head coach, showing they could be uh, competitive in a whole bunch of games, but you knew that the the talent gap is just too much for the Cardinals. So now they're in this position where they'll probably pick second, third at worst probably. Um, they'll, they'll be able to grab a blue chip non-quarterback if they want, tackle, quarterback, whatever it might – I mean, a receiver, whatever it might be. They can go quarterback if they want to. But this was the expectation this year. I think we had more hope for Carolina. Again, it's very tough to put yourself in the position of what did you think in June and August and leading up to the season. I don't think Carolina looked like the worst team in the league. No. Arizona – was expected to be the worst team in the league, yeah. with or without Kyler Murray, I think so. Right? I think they were going to be. Well, they and were. And then, like with Kyler, it's like okay, maybe they're a five or six win team, but they're not great. Without Kyler, they're a one or two win team, and they're sitting here with three wins heading into week six, seventeen. The on paper preseason expectation was Arizona has a very good chance to be picking one and two. Right. Like the Houston idea was that the Cardinals, yeah, the Cardinals would be the worst team in the NFL, and the Texans would be the second worst. You know, as opposed to a playoff team, like that team actually threatening postseason play. So, yeah, they were expected to be awful, and they've definitely outperformed that. So, you know, the cause of death was almost they were set up for this. Like, this is supposed to be a bad year. This is that year. Yeah. Um, It would have been interesting to see what Arizona would do if Kyler Murray wasn't hurt for the season. Right. You would say, hey, you just paid Kyler Murray a lot of money. You got a new coach and new regime in there. So you better build around Kyler Murray. So here you go. Cause of death, suicide. (laughs) <laughs> Jeez. it was intentional i mean they they yeah. they were they designed this year to be a bad year so that they have you yeah, know high first an, round draft picks and next year is when we turn it around i mean it was an easy Jeez. i don't want to say it was an easy decision to do the cause of death that you just said mm. i'm just saying it was an easy decision for arizona to say well not this year right let's look to 2024 all of our decisions are pointing toward 24 it's not suicide. You're coming back to life next year, you know? Okay. Temporary. So I don't know. What, that's not a thing. I don't know. Yeah. But I get it. But it is, like the, it, it's self-inflicted. I mean, the, the whole point is they, they designed this year to kind of be a tank job, right? To bail on this season because they don't have a quarterback for the majority of the year. Uh, and, you know, in, in fact, it, I, I, you could have been without Kyler Murray for longer if you wanted to take it easy on his recovery. Um, but next year was when you're going to have a viable chance at anything because you have Kyler Murray back. You have the ability to deploy those two first-round draft picks. And the guys you drafted a year ago are going to be, you know, a season better, like Paris Johnson, et cetera. So it's, it's a deliberate, self-inflicted decision to not be good this year. Self-inflicted wounds for Arizona. That's it. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. It was like a, a preview of the offseason, the, the depth hell? that we will go team by team. That's it for eliminated teams. Yep. We remembered the Titans uh, and we covered everybody else. Yeah, you will remember. Sometimes we don't remember the Titans. It's happened uh, one time. We forgot the Titans. One time. But uh, I forgot the Texans one year with uh, Chris. Went for, mm. I brought. I dragged Chris's podcast to the two-and-a-half-hour two limit. Nice. I dragged him into the abyss of what we do. And uh, he didn't know what he was getting into. He was like, let's go team by team. I'm like, Chris, come on. <laughs> we can do that. But you have just, time? Just a warning. Do you, we, do you know how long that's going to take? We did it for 31 teams. There you go. Houston. Nice. And that was in the middle of when they kept signing special teamers. So it was like, <laughs> all right, that's fine. We're not, we're not going to review Houston. We didn't miss season. anything. Thank you. 
Um, but that was fun. A little preview of what we like to do here in the offseason. Go team by team and um, fix them all, or at least describe what happened through our lens here. So that it for today? I believe so. Well, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We're back here tomorrow with uh, the preview for week 17. Full slate again. Dude, Christmas is throwing my entire, like, whatever the weekly equivalent of a circadian rhythm is, you know, where you've got We're that, grinding it out here. The day-by-day day cadence of the week that, that's the same every week in season. Now it's different because Christmas happened. The whole week's thrown to hell. Yeah, look at it. I'm three days in a row here, right. you and me together. Madness. Everything's it's not supposed different. to happen. Everything's different. So, yeah, we'll be back here tomorrow with more PFF NFL podcast.